Go. Welcome back, my friends, to the podcast that never ends. We're so glad you could attend. Come inside, come inside. I am Joe Spiegel. Mike Sutherland. All right. Welcome to Mr. Podcast. We are going to be talking about bad boys for life. I still don't know about the name, but whatever. You know, you know what? I have a prediction. My prediction for part four is going to be called... No, the Mr. Podcast. Oh, well, you know, we can always change it. You know, it's a tentative title, isn't it? Yeah. All right. So I have a prediction. Bad Boys 4 is going to be called Bad Boys Till Death. And it's going to make people think that it's going to be a character dying or something, right? But instead, it's going to be Mike Lowry is going to be getting married by the end of the movie. And that's what the Till Death is going to reference. What do you think? No. (laughs) I want to hear all the problems you have with this movie. Jesus. Where do I start? Where do you start? Because I'm pretty sure you didn't like this movie as much as I did. I enjoyed the movie. I didn't have... I didn't have a problem with it, like, say, let's see, um, Ride Along or 21 Jump Street or 22 Jump Street or- Or or Angel Has Fallen. Yeah. I mean, there is some fucking holes that you can drive a goddamn- Semi. (laughs) Space shuttle through. (laughs) With the boosters on it? Yes. It's- Okay. So, first and foremost, the beginning of the movie starts with the female cop getting stabbed by- the protagonist. Oh yes, yes. Inside the um, the mess hall or the, the laundry room. Right, and yeah. then get shoves into uh, a washing machine where one of the security guards or one of the guards, the uh, prison guards, finds her. Like Silence of the Lambs, just straight up Silence of the Lambs. Yeah, yeah. And she manages to escape from an ambulance, blow up something, and and right away. Now she's like. She's like the Pablo Escobar, right? <laughs> the El Chapo. <laughs> yeah. She's like Pablo Escobar. She's she's one of the most ruthless and feared in this movie world. Yeah. Female kingpins. Yeah. She, she's married to like the badass of the kingpins. Right? Yeah, yeah. And he's dead. And she escapes jail. And then we transition to Miami where... You know, she taught, well, we don't really transition, but we transition to Miami because that's where everything is taking place with Mike Lowry <laughs> and Martin. I was going to say Martin Short, but it's not Martin Short. It's Marcus, his character's Martin name Lawrence. is Marcus. Yeah. yeah. And they know nothing of the attempted prison break. Yeah. They know nothing of the escape and they're fucking cops. Well, not only that. They have the state-of-the-art Metro Miami police station with, you know, every every cop has, you know, their Apple Watch and fucking, you know, their smartphone, and it's all pretty and pristine on the inside. What is the budget there? Holy shit. Uh, yeah, that's what I was wondering. Because yeah, Roseville doesn't even have a, a police station that pretty. No, uh, not even, I mean, like, the CHP, like, uh, and it's funny you bring this up. Okay, Placer County. Mm-hmm. I don't know if they have the highest in the nation. At one point, they had the highest in the nation DUI arrest record. Damn. I think it was 98% conviction rating of arrests. Mm -hmm. And when you have a 98% conviction rating, you're making tons of money. Yeah. So why hasn't any of the buildings been upgraded to look like movie magic buildings? Yeah. You know, so and it goes all the way back to uh, the last action hero, right? Yep. So she escapes prison. There's no information over the wire about her escaping prison and no one knows what's going on. And just to, just to cap it off, 
everybody associated with the case starts dying. Yeah. Judges, prosecutors, like, was it the forensics yeah. guy that was on the boat? Yeah, the forensics guy. I don't know what the fuck they're paying people over there in Miami, <laughs> I know. but that forensics guy was living the life of, like, yeah. of fucking Donald Trump, or you the, know, or, on his boat with or the, chicks. Or the guy that, that created uh, Girls Gone Wild. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, what the fuck is going on? Maybe we should move to Miami. Oh, right? even the guy, even the guy that played the judge who was coming out of the building. Right. He like, you could tell he had bank as well. It's like, I know that people in Miami in general have money, but not civil servants. Judges make bank. I bet they do. But uh, that but guy- You have to be, you have to be a judge for a long time. To, yeah. That's not the point. Like the forensics guy, a police forensics guy uh-huh. is making huge amounts of money, uh-huh. you know? And, and just like, are you, <laughs> I mean. Yeah. And he had quote unquote bitches on his yacht. Yeah. And yeah. I'm, not, I'm not talking like huge yeah. amounts of money. Like, like, I don't want to look up what a forensics person makes, but. It ain't that. Five times that. Yeah. You know, we're, we're talking huge amounts of money, like, like seven figures. Right. Maybe he was friends with Jeffrey Epstein. Yeah. You know, Florida, <laughs> Donald Trump. Yeah. So. Already I have an issue with her escaping jail. Then then it goes into this police chase. They end up at the hospital. That was cute, but endangering lives on the road yeah. for that. It was yeah, it was a stretch. It was a major stretch. It, yeah, and he's flipping his car around and driving backwards through streets and yeah. Exactly. Da- endangering lives. I can forgive Michael Bayisms. <laughs> I can forgive that. <laughs> yeah. What I cannot forgive is the excessive use of of slow motion camera shots. Oh. I fucking hate them. They have become past cliche now. It's not, yeah, they were cliched when they first started doing it. Like when you're playing the game Max Payne and you're playing Bullet Time yep. in the game, it's fucking awesome. Oh, I love it, yeah. It, and, it, and it's awesome if you use it, like in The Matrix, I was fine with it. Yeah. Because it was it was pushing the story forward. And it's a believable world because it's in a different world. Exactly. Yeah. In this, it's just excessive. Like they get out of the car and then all of a sudden it's it's the... Um, it's the pan up shot with the circular motion, right? I was pan okay. up yeah. shot, circular motion, showing these, you know, and then the Mike Lowry fight with his son, where he gets thrown off the balcony, and you can tell it's a stunt double. Yeah, and, and major not, stunt double. And not only that, he's not even injured. And then him and Marcus stand up slow motion, like in in Bad Boys. Yeah, you know, and, and this this is this is part <laughs> of the series. I get it, and you know, you need staple shots for the series. Yeah, but again, they're just they're they're copying. Yeah, it's copy paste. You know, again, it's it's the up camera shot and and rotate to the right so you see, and it depends on who's standing there. Yeah, but it's always to the right so you see the left side of their faces, mm. and uh, and it's always the same look which is i can't believe they got away again <laughs> and they're breathing hard and they're frustrated especially martin lawrence yeah and then and then in that scene <clears throat> like okay so there there's a scene where they're going to get their ci right yeah their their um um informant was it dj Khaled's character no the, the butcher guy no okay and this guy gets thrown off a building. Like, he, like he's just at a random spot, and he's calling, and then all of a sudden, the bad guy shows up there knowing exactly where he is. Like, yeah. All right, you know, I'll, I'll forgive that because he was probably tracking him. Fine. Okay. Yeah. I, I can let that go. What I can't let go on that scene is he gets thrown off the building and lands on Martin Lawrence's Nissan Quest. Now, that whole scene was funny with the Nissan Quest thing, right? Yeah. But they didn't take the Quest in... <laughs> 
<laughs> to the police department for forensics for impounding because it's part of a murder. Yeah. And for investigation. Yeah. Okay. I can't forgive that. <laughs> They're driving around in a murder van now. Yeah, you're right. You're right. You're with totally blood right. coming off of it. Yeah. But that's acceptable. They didn't take him back to the police station. That would normally be on a flatbed going to the going to the police station. Yeah. Yeah. Or, and, or the forensics labs or whatever. Yeah. And every one of these movies has the the bad guy being the ultra fucking super soldier that can shoot a goddamn gun sixty five million miles away. He is the one. You know. Yeah. <laughs> you have him sitting up in an apartment somewhere or in some um, unfinished sky rise. Who can instantly access everything on his laptop. Die hard. Yeah. And that too. He has, a, he has access to every criminal police record, DMV yeah. database. And, and still, all these people are dropping dead and no one's tracking people looking up these characters? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, there's no common denominator on them. Come mm-hmm. on. So we get that. And he has a spotter. But the problem is, is that he's sitting in an apartment building and he has to fire the sniper gun and he's not adjusting for wind because yeah. as soon as the bullet leaves the apartment, there's going to be a gust of wind. Yeah. Oh yeah. And the sense of realism can be thrown out the window for the most part. But when you're doing cliched bullshit that has been done since Miami Vice in the 80s, yeah, it's got to stop. Mm-hmm. And I don't care how much Michael Bay's influence was on this film, when you are doing nothing to enhance the story and make it better, and you're just going for convenient plot choices yeah. and bad script writing, like these guys are really fun to watch when they're doing the action sequences. All of that, the movie was fun to watch because of, as you said in your review, of the interaction between Joey Pants and Will Smith and, and in fact, everybody except for the gang, the ammo gang, you know, where you have these these hipster douches with the exception of, you know, young Dolph Lundgren. I can't remember his name. Yeah, he was on the show Vikings. Yeah, and... And I liked his character because he was he was so nice. Yeah, you know he was in his it was it was a contrast to to what he could do. Right, and you know, and he's a, he's a fucking badass. We're coming to need therapy after this, okay? Yeah, all right. But everybody else is is this you know smart ass cynical shitbag. Yeah, talking down to these guys who are legends. Yeah, at this department. Yeah, legends, not just at this department, just fucking police detective legends. Yeah, if you really want to talk about that. Mm-hmm. And yeah, the bulletproof cop, right? Yeah, that's what Mike Lowry's nickname was. Yeah, and and I I I fucking can't stand that shit because it creates drama where you don't need to create drama. Yeah. Luckily, it, the movie didn't focus on it for too long with that one character who kept talking shit at, at uh, Will Smith. Yeah. I mean, he should have just been smacked down in the beginning. Immediately. Like with a, you know, just bam. Yeah, instead of the mama joke, you know, it, he could have done something more, but yeah. Yeah. They could have done something better, like write a better script. Yeah. You know, instead of instead of having him just be this smart ass against, oh, I'm just, I'm just a badass dude in this specialized fucking union, blah, blah. Blah, blah. Yeah. Holy shit, that's Mike Lowry. Yeah. You know, I mean, <laughs> how many people, how many people react like they, they act tough around whatever? And then all of a sudden you see this guy that everybody talks about, just like, you know, the bulletproof cop or whatever. Yeah. And him and Marcus are just, and not, and not just him, but other people that have been in the department for 25 years. Yeah. You know, have a fucking reputation 
of, you know, either being corrupt or badass, right? Yep. And when when you get the reputation of the badass or the guy that get, can get it done, people throw respect at you. And it, it doesn't matter. Like, uh, it, again, like I said, holy shit, that's blah, 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 you know? Yeah. And then insert insert legend name there. Or Vanessa Hudgens' character who stays perfectly flawless in appearance throughout even a gun battle. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's funny. And, and and then you, again, plot convenience with guys dying in most inconvenient ways. Like they're trying to save this uh, th- this dude that's about to get fucking squashed during a uh, a transaction gone bad. Yeah. And then, and then a poorly thrown grenade blows up and throws him into a fucking forklift. Come on. Like, I'm sick of this stuff. I'm sick of easy plot conveniences in scripts where people are just like, okay, well, that's fine. Yeah. You know, it's the it's it's the Michael Bay shit that continually fucks up movie making because he's taken the George Lucas idea of bigger, better, faster. Yep. Right. Or faster and more intense is really what it is. But and he's taken that and and then he's taken the James Cameron idea of bigger, better, faster, right? Like aliens, right? Yeah. Yeah. And then he's perverted it. He's perverted it into bigger, better fireworks. Yeah, just it's become a norm for him. And it's be- it's become a norm for the industry. Yeah. And that's the problem with what's going on. Again, you know, Star Wars has experienced this with episodes 7, 8 and 9, mm-hmm. which is it's not it's not faster and more intense, you know. There was there's very little planning involved in these movies. They just put the stuff together, throw fucking money, you know. They just back the dump truck up. Yeah. Here you go. Here's your money, Mr. Smith. There was another passenger I had today from work who saw that movie and loved it. Loved Rise of Skywalker. Everyone I talked to loved that movie. They don't They don't care about all the fanboy anger about it. It's amazing to me. Yeah, I, I don't care about the fanboy anger either because it's just a movie. Most people just don't care about all the plot problems. They just they're just happy to see a, 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 a an entertaining Star Wars film. Right. It it didn't suck. Yeah. Not, uh, and uh, my problem with Star Wars. Yeah. And this is what the Mister Podcast is about. It's not just <laughs> just one movie. My problem with Star Wars is again the plot convenience of building and putting a Death Star weapon <laughs> on ships, which is what they used to do in the fucking books. But I've already been through that. So blah let's, blah blah. Let's just start calling this Darth Podcast. Yeah. And. Going back to bad boys for life. Yeah. Like, if you take out all the nonsense, like, why didn't they just fucking rewrite Lethal Weapon 2 or 3 or Lethal Weapon? Yeah. For this for this movie series? Mm-hmm. You know, like, the first Lethal Weapon starts off with a girl who just fucked her way through whatever life. Yeah. She's, a, she's an escort prostitute, if you want to call it that, or porn star. She's yep. both, really. Yeah, Michael Hunsaker's daughter. Yeah. And, in fact, uh, speaking of Michael Hunsaker, I'm going to do a, a review of a movie that he was in. Okay. Uh, that's not Lethal Weapon. Okay. So, she gets up. She's coked out of her head. Stands on a balcony and throws herself off a balcony. Yeah. And That's was, the opening scene yeah. of Lethal Weapon. Yeah. The opening scene of this movie is some lady escaping prison. Yeah. And it's stolen directly from Silence of the Lambs. Oh, yeah. Everything about that was stolen from Silence of the Lambs. They just added a couple more characters. Yeah. Seriously. Mm-hmm. I do like Martin Lawrence's comment, though. This is like a telenovela. Yeah. Novella. I'm like, all right. They, they acknowledged it. All right. Good. Now, <laughs> the other part of this is, is that she's carted off on a stretcher and not one person checked her yeah. for fucking stab wounds. 
She was just put right into the ambulance. You're right. And they didn't put checker you're for You're right. Stab I didn't even think about that, but you're right. Yep. And I'm just like, I already, that's at this point, I'm just like, fuck this movie. Yeah. This is not, this is, this, the script is garbage. Mm-hmm. And I, I fucking hate the script already. Yeah. So I am just going to sit back. That's why I sat back after leaning forward. Mm-hmm. I am just going to sit back. I am just going to enjoy this fucking uh, dumpster fire of a yeah. movie. Shit fest. <laughs> and, and enjoy Will Smith and Martin Lawrence. Yeah. And that's what I did. And that's why I can say I really enjoyed this movie after I just shut everything off and said, all right, I already know where this fucking bullshit is going. <laughs> and I fucking, I, I don't want to deal with it anymore. You know what? Plot wise, I think Bad Boys 2 had a better plot. Even though the villain- Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles by Michael <laughs> Bay had a better plot. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Transformers 4 had a better plot. Ooh, that's a, that's a bold statement. That's a bold statement. <laughs> The last night, Transformers. The last night actually had a better plot than this, and and that had to do with fucking Earth being Unicron. Uh, and that was all over the place too. Yeah, but you get my point. Is yeah, is this movie the the whole script was just like I can somebody needs to go and re-edit the movie so it's just you know all the fucking silly shit taken out of it and the uh, the the script the plot script bullshit mm-hmm. and just holy shit this movie's like a Fast and Furious. Movie. Yeah, like take out the the por- the part where they end up at the um, at the hospital. Yeah, and then cut right into mm. you know the next scene. You just need Vin Diesel to show up and go family. Yeah, I am Groot. <laughs> <laughs> there he goes, Fast and Furious, and and get right into the meat of the movie. Yeah, you know, without her escaping, you don't need to show her escaping or anything else like that. You could show her on the balcony. You know, we're going to get these people. Ha ha ha! Mwa ha 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 ha! Bad guy, bad guy. Yeah. Dialogue, monologuing, 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 because the the way that she treated the kid mm-hmm. was I thought it was great that was actually really good the script was was crisp with that stuff you do what I say because this is the way it needs to be yeah stop fucking around I don't want you to go off the script yeah right and and so that whole subplot between you know daughter and son was really fucking good and I got into it because I was just like okay you, she's treating him like shit you know where is this going to end that's up that's how she stays in control yeah yeah and and he's getting frustrated. When is he going to turn? Yeah. If he turns, maybe he's not going to. You know, that's that's what I liked about this movie. Yeah, he was like a dog on a leash, a wild dog on a leash. Yeah, that whole okay. sub-thread was fine. Killing people just to kill people doesn't make any sense to me. It doesn't push forward the plot any I mean, further. like, you could tell, like, it was straight up a plot, you know, um, what do you call it, a plot device, when he's getting all of his stuff from those guys at the dock, and then the guy, oh, I changed the deal. Yeah. And then, so it's just to show off his skills. Right. So you know he's a threat physically because right. of how quick he dispatches these guys, right? Yeah, and he didn't need that. That, it, yeah. that was a complete waste of time because these guys know that whatever, if you want to call it a cartel or whatever, yeah. what wherever he's from in Mexico uh-huh. and who whoever, whatever the name of that cartel that they're going to call, yeah. that they're calling it. They know that he's from there. They know that he's part of that family. Why would you endanger yourself to say, I've changed the deal? Stop fucking Darth Vadering this it shit. It would have been better if they just had more interaction with mother and son um, leading up to the, him getting to Miami. Yeah. And, and by the way, to the script writers of this movie. Other than Joe Carnahan? Or yeah. with Joe Carnahan? I don't know. <laughs> Except for Joe Carnahan. Because I don't know how much of 
his information went into this. I do know some of the chases were because he, he had posted... Um, yeah, yeah. Um, storyboards. Yeah, storyboards on his website, which yeah. is really cool. And previous stuff, yeah. However, to the other writers on this, on this movie, mm-hmm. this is not Empire Strikes Back. <laughs> Stop using Empire Strikes Back and perverting the storyline to continue trying to make the quote-unquote best story you can make. I've seen it a hundred times. More than that. Yeah. Hmm. And, and, you know, uh, go right back to Last Jedi. Same thing. Stop perverting these storylines from the 80s and take what you can and massage it. In the in those are the best words I know. Massage it and make something that isn't going to be a 90-minute puke fest. Because I'm sick of these things. Mm-hmm. This is why we always go back to the 80s and some in the 70s and the 60s about movies that were fucking great. Yeah. You know, 90s, it depends on if you're from the 90s or not. Yeah. There were some really great movies in the 90s. Yeah. But during the 90s is when the shift happened, when we got the Michael Bays, when we got the Quentin Tarantino. I'm not I'm not going to add Quentin Tarantino into the Michael Bay thing, but when we got the Michael Bay extravaganzas, the Jerry Bruckheimer extravaganzas, got the rock. And the CG. Yeah, and the, and the awful CG. Like I said, you got The Rock, which was a fun fucking movie. Oh, yeah. And that's where they have lost it. They've taken these movies to the absolute extreme, whereas, and I'm going to put this in perspective, people like Kevin Smith, people like, um, oh, God, uh, Dazed and Confused. Oh, Linkletter? Art Linkletter, yeah. Richard, Link, Richard. Richard, Linkletter. Art, yeah. Art Linkletter. No, <laughs> uh, no, it's Richard. Um, Richard Linkletter, uh, uh, Kevin Smith, Rodriguez, but Rodriguez has kind of fallen off. He's... He 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 went into that route of extreme, and then he and then he's kind of scaled it, it back. Seems like he's going in the Danny Elfman. I'm not Danny Elfman. Um, uh, Tim Burton direction, and when it comes to picking a certain style of film and just going in that, you know, with that direction, like like Tim Burton's doing a lot of Disney related stuff now. Yeah, but I mean, like um. Like if you watch Battle Angel Alita, mm-hmm. you know that's more James Cameron's influence. Robert Rodriguez is like a chameleon; he can he can work within these parameters, yeah. right? And then you have did Frank Miller direct Sin City or did Robert Rodriguez direct Sin City? Both of them did. Okay, so um, we'll push that one to the side. And then you have Quentin Tarantino who does his thing. Yeah, right. The one segment he did, yeah. And no, no, no. I mean, I'm not oh. talking about Sin City. I'm talking about Quentin general. Tarantino in yeah. general. When you're in the 90s, as as I'm kind of relating this, you have a wider variety of films coming out. Yeah. And then when you get into the 20s, 2010s, you get, well, you know, going 23 films back. So in from the Hulk all the way through to yeah. Endgame, right? You see this transition from, you know, whatever it was to spectacular super blockbuster movies and and these <clears throat> these studios are like, oh, bigger, better, better, right? Yeah. More intense, bigger explosions, blah, blah, blah. And now we're left with this. I think that's why Miramax became so huge in the mid 90s and then forward is because a lot of studios were, uh, big studios were starting to rely more on CG and stuff and more action. And Miramax was making all of these independent films that were really well done in plot and and stories and characters. And that's when they started. If you notice, if you look at like the Oscar nomination records, there was a Miramax film for best picture like every year for like 15 plus years. Right. But not all of those films made money. No, no. Yeah. A lot of them didn't. A lot of them became cult favorites and made money way later on. Some never did. Yeah. Like say Albino Alligator. Reservoir Dogs. Yeah. You know? So 
you have this process that's going on where the studios don't give a shit anymore about story. No. They just want it out there. They want it now. Yeah. And and I, you know, I'm not saying all, um, but I'm saying majority. These big budget films that they don't take the time to go through the script and say, this is acceptable, you know? Yeah. Like, look at, look at Josh Trank's <clears throat> fucking Fantastic Four dumpster fire. Yeah. And where's Josh Trank now? He's at home washing his tights. Who knows? <laughs> I don't know. Nobody knows. I like he they, he was going to go do another film, but then again, look he's at He's gone the way of Troy Duffy for the most part. I, I I don't know where the fuck he went. Yeah, and Troy Duffy was trying to get uh Boondock Saints TV show going. Yeah. And then he was going to do a movie with, along, on top of that and all of a sudden nobody wants to work with people like Troy Duffy. Nobody wants to work with people like Josh Trank because they're toxic. Yeah. And I'm not saying I know this for a fact. I'm just saying that that's the report. Yeah. I've seen Troy Duffy work, you know, on from... from um, Yeah, they had a docu-film on him. Yeah, the, thank you. The documentary that he did and a couple of other things. And from secondhand information, nobody wants to work with Troy Duffy anymore because he's a pain in the ass. Yeah. And that's fine. I guess you can be... It's okay to be a pain in the ass. But if you are just a ruthless fucking dictator on set... Hey, James Cameron's a pain in the ass. A, a lot of people that work with him say they fucking hated working with him. Right. But yet, he keeps making movies. Yep. So, I mean, there you go. It you, just depends on... It depends on your cycle of movie making. Yeah. And and how you do it. it again... Like James Cameron can be a pain in the ass. Yeah, I, I, other than his ex-wives, I don't, I don't. I think everyone that's worked with him still respects him. Yeah, because he knows how to get shit done. Yeah. Then you have the Troy Duffy's and the Josh Tranks that nobody wants to deal with right now, or or, or ever again, or ever again in some <laughs> cases because it's not because they ruffled the wrong feathers. Yeah. You know, and generally those feathers that they ruffled are the money guys. So. I've lost where I was at. Anyways, big, big, big budget movies and blah, 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 70s and 80s and 90s. Now you're in the 2010s and, and we're getting this. I believe what the, one of the problems is that, hey, Will Smith and Martin Lawrence together again, that's going to sell it more than anything else. So they know they can take a backseat on the story, on the, on the script writing, because they know that those two names together again are going to sell tickets. Yeah. And that's a problem. Yeah. Because you can't take a backseat on the story. <clears throat> you're right. You can't. So yeah, even though I, I I probably will add Bad Boys for Life to my 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 collection because you know it, like I said it's a it's a good companion piece and it's a better overall film than the second one. That story maybe over time is going to become completely unforgivable, and then I don't know you know how much I'd go back to it because yeah. of it. The look when I'm when I when I hear Bad Boys the movie Bad Boys I think of the two chase scenes the first the one in the first movie. Oh yeah, Th that's how you drive. Yep. Yeah, and then the second movie where it was the boat chase and then they're cutting cars off of the fucking uh the trailer yeah i like when the dead bodies were they were throwing the dead bodies off yeah yeah the the chase scenes Ooh, they're amazing yeah when i think of those when i think of that movie mm -hmm. i think of those chase scenes in this one i <laughs> it was more funny things that, that worked with them than new actually action scenes yeah i don't i don't have a chase scene that i can think of that i them going to the hospital at the beginning. <laughs> that's just, I, that's yeah. Them that's chasing it. the helicopter. You know the, the 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 truck. Yeah. Okay. The the motorcycle chasing. But it's still yeah. It, it's, it's forgettable though. It's pretty much what I put in my review that there's no action scene in this movie that that is better than than from part two. There isn't. Have you seen any other movies? Have I? Oh, I've been watching a lot of Netflix, man. Holy shit! Like what? what? 
What the hell did I watch? Oh, there's one movie I couldn't even finish. This is a rarity for me. There are plenty of films that I have watched that I didn't care for at all while I was watching it, but I still finished it because I'm like, okay, well, I started it. I made a commitment. I'll finish it. Fuck it. Let's get it done, right? That way I can say if anyone ever talks to me about it or I talk to them about it, I can say I finished, at least gave the movie enough of a chance to finish it, okay? There's a movie I couldn't do it. it and it's been in my queue for a long time. It's called the... um. Oh, Charles Swan the Third. Something Charles Swan the Third, which is um it is it stars Charlie Sheen. There was another movie you were telling me about that was really good that was in your queue for a long time as well. So yeah, the the movie that um I'll talk about first though is um A Glimpse Inside the Mind of Charles Swan the Third. It was directed Inside the Mind of Llewellyn, Doug Llewellyn. And the movie's pretty much loosely based on Charlie Sheen's life. The guy is a major druggie, um, he's a womanizer. And the whole film is pretty much just, well, I think the whole film is, I stopped, I stopped it about 45 minutes into it. It's an hour and a half movie. And it was, God, it was fucking boring and just dragged. It didn't matter how many nude scenes were in it or anything. It, none of that shit, it was even good enough. Bill Murray showing up didn't help that movie either. It just, nothing. Just watching Charlie Sheen go from scene to scene as this character who's in the hospital after a car accident because his girlfriend left him. And he keeps going to these different dreams where he's confronting his anger at losing her. And so he goes into different scenarios, like an old Western scenario or or something else. And it just meanders with with Charlie Sheen talking about him, his character himself. And it just, God, it, it, it was fucking plotting and boring and just like me talking about it. Boring as shit. Couldn't even stand it. I, I, my son, Will, uh, Kendrick was watching it with me and he's like, I don't care about this movie at all either. I, I, you know, he started talking about it. I went right to my phone. See, exactly. That, that's how shitty that movie is. So anybody that has, uh, that has any interest in seeing the glimpse inside the mind of Charles, Charles Swan the third, there, there is nothing worth seeing inside that mind at all. There's just none. Blank slate. I watched Dick Tracy and, uh, everywhere I turn. <laughs> That's a good one. It's Tracy. Yeah. I, I, Al Pacino was fucking just hilarious in the in the role that he did, but that movie sucked. That movie is terrible. I love that movie. I, I, I bought on Blu-ray a, about a year or two ago, and I still love it. I love the, the comic booky feel of it, the over-the-top there acting. There is nothing comic booky. The the it's not the, in the, the overtop acting is fine. The movie sucks. It's very comparable in style to um, uh, Tim Burton's Batman. Mm. Like because Danny Elfman does the score for both of them, and it gives that feel a lot because of his score. Mm. Everything was just like these bright colors and every reds and and whatever else. Yeah, you know. It was all done on purpose, but the mobsters, the makeup is really cool. Yeah. The movie's awful. It's fucking awful. It is really awful. I love uh, Dustin Hoffman as Mumbles. Yep. He was really good. Big boy did it. Big boy did it. <laughs> but again, I mean, every it, everybody's different. You love the movie and I don't yeah. like it. Madonna's like, tell me you want it. Tell me you want it all. And she was overacting in that movie. There, there's a scene. Yeah. Okay, so Dick Tracy is one of the most dirtiest fucking dialogue-driven movies ever. Get a knock at the door. Uh -huh. He thinks it's Tess. And he goes, what kind of ice cream did you bring me? And the words that come out of fucking Madonna's mouth are peach, but you better eat it quick because it's starting to run. <laughs> I didn't even know. And I, 
I turned the TV off after that. I was just like, that's a fucking great line. I'm I'm going out on a great line. <laughs> Going to close it and shutting the TV down. Other than that, the movie's yeah. completely forgettable for me. All right. I, I don't like it. I Warren Beatty or Ned Beatty, Warren, whatever. It's Warren. The, one of the Beatty's. Not related. They are not related to each other at all. I looked it up. One of the Beatty's. Yeah. The Beatty brothers. He's good in, he was good in, he wasn't even good in Bugsy. I, Bugsy wasn't really memorable for me. But I mean, like, like everything prior to the, those movies, like Bugsy and- Bonnie and Clyde? Uh, yeah. Well, that was in the 70s though. It was a Heaven Can Wait, I think he was also in. Yeah. And uh, Dick Tracy. Most of those 80s, late 80s, 90s movies. Bullworth. <laughs> He was actually good in Bullworth. I liked Bullworth. You know what? I actually saw a lot of good movies recently. I did. Well, let me finish uh, with Dick Tracy. Uh-huh. Wrong actor and wrong direction for this movie because they went they went Batman 19, you know, the 1989. Oh, fucking killed almost everybody. It's like, do you want to have a sequel? Yeah. <laughs> they went total Batman 1989 in this movie. That's where the studios were thinking when they're doing comic book movies. Yeah. Instead of, instead of going the route of like a in between. Mm-hmm. You didn't need all the flashy, bright colors. You did, all the cars didn't need to be fucking blues and yellows. When, you know, the, the bright baby blues, uh-huh. the dark reds or the bright reds, the fucking yellows and the greens. And the, the buildings didn't have to be all those same colors. Uh-huh. You know, it, it, it just, the, 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 overwhelming amount of color scheme. Visual flair, is that what you mean? No, it wasn't visual. Well, no, it was the color scheme. It was the production design. Uh-huh. The overwhelming amount of bad decisions when it comes to the color designs yeah. that they were using because they thought, well, let's just translate the comic you know, in the real life, yeah, in, yeah, and it doesn't work that way because when you're doing the comic stuff, like you have to use brighter colors to get. I mean, at that point in time, mm-hmm. bad newspaper, you know, and you had to use bright colors to get all this stuff out, mm-hmm. so that way people could see and the darker colors all blended together, you know, or bled together, yeah, and the brighter colors, even though it wasn't very fantastic, allowed people to see the visual aspects of it. That's why Superman is red and blue and not in Batman is 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 uh, the gray and not not blue not black yeah. gray you know like they're in Britain yeah <laughs> and and which I think they filmed in Pinewood Studios so well no but I'm not talking about gray like background I'm talking about suits mm-hmm. you know and that's why you know with Popeye his suit was was uh, blue and in white or, or or generally white yeah you know or Mighty Mouse which was the yellows and the and the oranges and the reds what I'm trying to get at is they use these colors from back then just in newspapers and and the cartoon shorts because of the uh, technology at the time. Yeah. Because colors didn't really show up well. And now, in, 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 in chuck it forward 50 years for Dick Tracy, they're still using the same color palette mm-hmm. as the comic that's 50 years old. And you've got to adjust. And it's so it's so bright. It hurts the eyes in some cases. It's so bright. I am st- Surprised! I, I this is one of those times where you just like with the movie Major League, man. I, I dude, I have never liked this movie. I, and then yeah, I'm surprised. I, I thought you'd be the complete opposite. Like, oh look, it's it's like they brought the comic book to life. I've never liked this movie. Yeah. I've never liked this movie based <clears throat> on Warren Beatty and Madonna's acting. Nah. He only put her in the movie because he was dating her at the time. Oh yeah, and they they added the kid element. 
you know, uh, Glenn Headley was fine in it. She yeah. was great. Or Hetty. I'm sorry, not Hedley. Yeah, Glenn Hetty. Yeah. Hedley Lamar. Glenn Hetty. <laughs> uh, Pacino was funny as fucking oh, hell in it. Great. He, Forsyth was great as Flathead. Oh, I love them. Um, 30 yeah, seconds, no more dick. 30 yeah. seconds, no more dick. No, that's that's another guy. I know, that's the guy that worked for Flat Top. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And then um, you have uh, James Kahn that's in it. Yep. And Dick Van Dyke. Yep. You know, Mandy Patinkin played the piano player. Yep, eighty yeah. keys, and then and then I mean, there are scenes that are just beautiful in their direction, uh-huh. but there are scenes that are just so bad and so obvious, like the kid running from Dick Tracy, and there's a train, and he dies on the train. Yeah, and you can fucking tell that that train is is all it's all green screen, blue yeah. screen, and it was added in. It's it's terrible, terrible. It's really, really bad. That is, you know, what? and it's just like when I watched Sin City, it like. Like, I know that it's not real. And it, so I actually, it added to the comic book element for me. So it, I'm the opposite. I loved it. I loved but it. It doesn't add to the comic book element. There is, it, it detracts from it. For me, it did. But you're not a comic guy. That's why, I, see, I can't, I'm, I'm subjective, kick, I, I, man. It's I'm, subjective. I'm kicking your credibility to the curb, bro, with your, with your comic element. I'm sorry, man. I you, mean, but you're not a comic guy. That's, that's, see, that's, uh, not to, I don't want to get into it too much, but I understand where you're coming from mm-hmm. with the, the, the comic thing. Um, people are probably going to be pissed off at me anyways, because I keep saying this, but if you're a comic guy, you're a comic guy. Mm-hmm. You're not. I've gone away from it. Your, but your visual taste when it comes to movies from comics, yeah. I get. You're you're comparing and contrasting, and and if you like it, that's fine. I mean, there are movies that you're going to fucking love that I don't like. Like I think you like the spirit more than you like Dick Tracy. No, no. I, I, in fact, I put the spirit right up with Dick Tracy. Okay, it's they're both terrible movies. Hmm. All right, but visually, there are some beautiful shots in each movie yeah. that I really, really loved. See, you notice right. though that I'm not trying to convert you to liking Dick Tracy. I get that you don't like it. Yeah, and I'm not gonna, and, and you know yeah. that I don't try to convert you to fucking because mm. that's just not. I don't want you to like the same shit that I like all the time because that's boring. Yeah, who wants to have two guys agreeing on everything? That'd yeah, be fucking boring. So fuck your Dick Tracy. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways. All right. So, yeah, no more dick. All right. So, uh, I'll run through a quick uh, little list of movies I've watched on Netflix recently that are worth seeing. There's a movie called About Time that came out in 2013 with uh, Donald Gleason, Rachel McAdams, and Bill Nighy. That's that's the one you were talking to me about. Yeah. Now, this movie goes through the predictable motions of a chick flick. You know that eventually everything's going to turn out good, and there's going to be some struggle and strife throughout parts. But where this movie really worked for me was, it tapped into my sentimentality. Huge. I, I can't even describe how much... I felt for these characters, especially Bill Nighy's character when it gets into, because there's a time travel uh, subplot to the movie where Donald Gleason's character finds out through his father that all the men in their family can travel through time by just thinking about a moment in a, when they're in a, like a, a private place. They can think about a moment and they can travel back in time to that moment in that body. And then they can change things if they want to. However, there's also a gay overtone to that with going into the closet and coming out of the closet. <laughs> there might be. No, I'm, I'm, I mean, that's not a joke. That's... Yeah. So, it's... um. And it's, you know, it doesn't overdo the time travel stuff. It only does it to actually, like, it kind of accompanies the story when it needs to. But for the most part, it's just about Donald Gleason's character trying to find love. And 
it just works. The characters are believable. They're relatable. The guy who um, wrote or wrote and directed the film, he also did like Notting Hill and, and movies like Notting Hill. So Notting Hill itself also had charm to it as well. He did movies like Notting Hill and he, he did Notting Hill and, and movies did, like Notting Hill. I think he Hill. did Four Weddings and a Funeral. And, and yeah. So. Four Weddings and a Notting Hill. <laughs> so yes. The postman always rings at Notting Hill. So I, I'm going to admit, man, when it got to near the end where it's dealing with, um, you know, the loss of a character that happens it, it hit me it actually reminded me of when i lost some of my relatives and it's strong because it's it kind of does wishful thinking kind of things where you go back and visit someone who died in your life and you get to have a moment with them which no none of us ever get to unless we just sit down and we think about you know that person and that's it so this is a chick flicking movie but i loved it i loved about time and i highly recommend it if you have time to watch it pardon, i didn't even mean to say that but yeah Pardon the pun. You have time to watch it. I would, I recommend it. See about time. All right. There's, um, uh, I saw Horns finally with, with Daniel Radcliffe from 2013. I, this has been on my queue for like seven years. I finally watched it. This movie goes in weird directions and I like it because it it's um, eccentric. He's got a movie coming out called Guns Akimbo. Yes. And I, we've got to see it. Oh, that. yeah. Yeah. I think I think I sent that to you, the, the trailer no, for it. Oh, no. Are you sure about that? Yes. Because I, I, I'll, I'll look through my shit because I remember sending it to somebody. Maybe I sent it to, to my cousin. I don't know. But anyway, yeah. Um, Horns. Or maybe is, you did. I don't know. Yeah. Horns is, is good. It's Daniel Radcliffe's character who the movie starts off. So there's no spoiler alert here. His girlfriend is murdered. And you already know this at the beginning of the film. And he's trying to go through this small town in Washington to find out what happened to her. And for some weird supernatural reason, he starts growing horns. And when he has horns and he interacts with people, people are completely honest with him. Like they're under a spell of the devil or something. And it just propels the story forward. I liked it. It, it, you know, there's a couple things that are a little over the top and the way the story like linear time jumps, it's not linear. It jumps all over the place. So it's not for everybody, but I think that horns was very interesting and it's entertaining. It's funny at times and you know, it's a little bit poignant, but in it, there's a, I am not gonna, I, I'm not gonna forget about telling you this. There is a rape scene in this movie that is fucking brutal. So just be prepared for it if you're going to watch the movie. It, it, it's one of those kind of rape scenes too, where it's not subtle. It's like you, you feel like shit when you're watching it. So, hey, if you're into that, go ahead, watch Horns. So anyway, there is a three-part documentary series about Aaron Hernandez that is called The Mind of Aaron Hernandez. And I already knew a little bit about him. I thought for some reason, I thought the Aaron Hernandez shit was like almost 10 years ago and it wasn't. It was recent, you know? I mean, the guy died three years ago. So actually less than three years ago. But the guy played for the, the New England Patriots. Um, they pretty much wiped their asses with him right when they found out that he was connected to these murders, and which is fine for them. The, the, the Patriots have always been smart about distancing themselves from from PR nightmares. So good for them. Antonio Brown. Yeah, see? Very smart about it. Good for them. But it's really this is a really good documentary because I watched all three, three and a half hours of it and I didn't plan on it. it. You know, I wanted to just watch one episode and then go, I don't know, take a nap before I had to go to work or whatever it was I was doing that night. And instead I ended up watching all three and a half hours Vigorously masturbating. <laughs> oh, God. So just finding out things about the case and about, holy shit, this guy got this attorney who was like the new Johnny Cochran. Holy shit. You know, he he got people off. He got Casey Anthony off for murdering her daughter. <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> so, and then he ends up getting one of, you know, Aaron Hernandez's 
cases um, dismissed, this multiple murder shit. And it's like, damn. But just to, to watch this and watch the families of the victims and to watch like going into the insight of Aaron Hernandez about his CTE that he had, you know, tell the truth. And his, you know, his sexuality, his upbringing, his friends, all that stuff. And it's very interesting and compelling because it's not just a cut and dry thing. Look, this guy still murdered someone and he did it in cold blood. So it doesn't matter what he was going through. There was no excuse for doing what he did and he had to pay for it. So he did. So he had his own demons to deal with. But still, I still felt a little bit sympathetic towards him because once you watch the film, you see all the shit that was going on in his life and the, and the, the poisonous people in his life as well, especially like his mother. Holy shit. What a manipulated piece of shit his mother is. So very interesting to see. I highly recommend The Mind of Aaron Hernandez. It is really good. So it's called Killer Inside. Yeah. There's even footage during the documentary of when Bob Kraft, the owner of the Patriots, if anyone didn't know that, he actually, who's a billionaire, he shows up at the trial and, and, and you know, for the prosecution. And, you know, he answers some questions and stuff. And you could see how much Aaron Hernandez respected the dude. Like, you know, you could just, you could see it. Aaron Hernandez was a weird character. He was someone that seemed like he could be very calm, but then he could instantly be set off if someone disrespected him or he felt like someone disrespected him. Just a switch. It was it was weird to see. So anyway, I recommend uh, that, that one again. So uh, quickly, I saw Between Two Ferns, the movie with J Zach Galifianakis. That is hilarious. You know, it by the end of the film, it starts to teeter off, but it's not too long. It's only like an hour and 20 minutes, but it is absolutely hilarious. The dark humor, the sarcastic wit where he's interviewing celebrities like Peter Dinklage and, and Matthew McConaughey and Keanu Reeves and other people. It is goddamn funny and it is worth seeing. I highly recommend uh, Between Two Ferns. Uh, there's a film with uh, I can't Nikolaj Cage Wastow or whatever the fuck his name is. He played Jamie Lannister on Game of Thrones. <clears throat> he's in a film from a few years ago called Shot Caller. He's about a guy who was a stockbroker who gets a DUI murder, a manslaughter charge. He goes to prison and ends up to survive has to join with the Aryan nation pretty much, okay? The white supremacist. And then the movie jumps back and forth in time to before he was arrested, before he went to prison, how he's interacting with his family, after prison, while he's in prison. It's all over the place, but it's a really good story and it's not predictable. Like I thought it was going to be predictable in a lot of ways and it's not. The movie's got suspense to it. His interactions with it, with his with his family, with the other people that he was in prison with, in his, you know, probation officer, all that, or his parole officer, all that shit. It's a, it's actually really good. I, I recommend uh, Shot Caller. All right. And then lastly, because I, I can add more movies to this list on another podcast, but the last one is The Two Popes. Holy shit. The Two Popes, which is up for um, Oscars for Best Supporting Actor for Anthony Hopkins and Best Actor for Jonathan Price. They deserve it. This movie, regardless of your religious beliefs, which I, look, I'm not, I'm not into Catholicism at all, but it doesn't matter with this film. This film is about the transition from, from Pope Benedict to Pope Francis. And it's showing these two characters interacting with each other about what they're going to do. And they're two completely different characters in, a, in, you know, um, Anthony Hopkins' character as Pope Benedict, he is, he's set in the old ways. And Jonathan Price's character, who's Pope Francis, he's more progressive. And he's like, you have to change with the times to get with the people, to get them, you know, and we need to focus on, you know, acknowledging like all the pedophile priest shit that's going on. And Anthony Hopkins' character is more about suppressing it and just moving past it and all this stuff. And so they're conflicting with each other when they're having these conversations. But there's a respect between the both of them that is, it transcends any kind of beliefs you 
might have or non-beliefs you have. And it's just more important about these two people that truly believe that they're doing the right thing for all their followers and for the world in general. And it is really worth seeing. I, I, I actually love the movie. I watched it all the way through. You know, I, I wanted to stay up all night and watch it because that, that's how good it is. Just to see these two power, powerhouse actors work off of each other, you know, and, and especially Jonathan Price. Holy shit. You can, you can feel the emotion in his character. Like he might as well have been Pope Francis. That's how good he was, you know, and you could see the humanity in his character. He, he, I mean, he sold me big time. He deserves an Oscar nomination. Still isn't better than Joaquin Phoenix's Joker, but he still earned what he got. So, all right, that's what I got. The two popes. Along with watching Dick Tracy, uh, this is a couple nights ago. I ended up watching another really terrible movie. <laughs> what? Halloween 3, Season of the Witch. Oh, okay. So it has uh, an actress that really isn't, I don't know what she's done since then. Her name is Stacy Nelkin. Tom Atkins, who yeah. plays- Michael Hunsecker? Yeah. Dan O'Hurley, who plays Connell Cochran. You've seen him before. He's been in a ton of fucking that movies. That name is definitely familiar. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> He played the old man in Robocop. No, stop it. <laughs> and that was eerie. That that silver shamrock thing is eerie. It's well done. Yeah, he also was in uh, The Last Starfighter and Robocop too. Okay. So he, he was in a, a ton of movies, but uh, you have Nancy Keys, some guy named Brad Schechter, Garn Stevens, Ralph Strait, and Al Berry. Just to catch you up on Season of the Witch. It treats the prior films in the franchise as fictional films, and the film's tagline is a reference to one from the original as well. It also departs from the slasher genre, which the rest of the installments were part of, and instead features a witchcraft theme and science fiction aspects. John Carpenter and Deborah Hill believe that the Halloween series had the potential to be an anthology of films that centered around the night of Halloween, with each sequel containing its own characters, setting, and storyline, which... I think would be kind of cool. I've heard from people that, because I haven't watched season, season of the Witch in a very, very long time, but I've heard that if you separate it from the Michael Myers stuff and just look at it as its own film, it's actually gotten, it's, it's worthwhile. No. I've heard some people say, I'm not saying everybody said it. On October 23rd in Northern California, a shop owner, Harry Grimbridge, the third is chased along a barren road by mysterious men in suits. He makes it to a gas station clutching a jack-o'-lantern mask. He is driven to the hospital by station attendant Walter Jones. At the hospital, Harry's placed in the care of Dr. Dan Chalice, Hunsacker, <laughs> a hardworking doctor struggling with the relationships between him and his ex-wife as well as his children. That night, another man in a suit enters Harry's hospital room, murders him, then immolates himself. A few days later, Dan is confronted in a bar by Harry's daughter, Ellie. He tells her about the strange events of the night Harry died, shows her the mask her father was holding when he was admitted to the hospital. Blah, 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 blah. They end up going to a place called Santa Mira California, where they make these silver shamrock novelties, and the entire town is basically controlled by the company, as they say. Company is very powerful, isn't it? Gutterman, one of the minor players, finds a microchip on the back of the shamrock button and is electrocuted by its laser beam after poking it with a hairpin. <laughs> Dan and Ellie learn of I'm sorry, I said Gutterman. Gutman's accident, and Dan attempts to help, but is forced away by a group of men dressed in lab coats who drive away in a van with Marge's body. Large Marge. 
Ellie mysteriously disappears. Dan is captured by the men in suits who are revealed to be androids created by Cochran. Cochran reveals his plan to sacrifice children wearing his masks on Halloween, thus bringing about a resurrection of the ancient age of witchcraft for Silver Shamrock's big giveaway, which will air at 9 p.m. on all television channels. Following the horror-thon, each of these masks contain a fragment of Stonehenge implanted in its trademark microchip. When activated by a flashing signal of the commercial's on-screen magic pumpkin, the microchip causes the mask wearer to succumb to brain damage from absorbing the energy of Stonehenge and unleashes a swarm of insects and snakes that come out of the wearer's corpse and kill anyone nearby. It's actually kind of a cool effect. To demonstrate this, Cochrane yeah. kills one of the families that are at his uh, place visiting. Later that night, Cochrane puts a silver shamrock mask on Dan and leaves him to die. The same fate as the trick-or-treating children who will come back home for his false watch and win. Dan, destroying the television set and removing the mask, escapes through a ventilation shaft and rescues Ellie. As the two drive away, Ellie attacks Dan, revealing herself to be an android duplicate. He crashes... Dan, let's see, at the same moment, a group of trick-or-treaters wearing silver shamrock masks arrive at the station to participate in the big giveaway. Dan persuades the station to take it off channels one and two, but not channel three, where the commercial keeps on playing right up to the magic pumpkin. Dan desperately screams on the phone for the final station to turn off the commercial as the animated pumpkin head flashes nonstop in front of him and the children. But it never explains whatever happened to Ellie. This movie has its moments, but yeah, if it weren't a Halloween movie, it probably would have been a really cool movie. I kind of wish they would have done the anthology thing with the Halloween, and you can continue to go back and tell stories about Michael Meyer and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. But Carpenter wanted the movies to be a specific way. Yeah. And when the studios got involved, well, he didn't come, I mean, he was essentially just paid to direct the movie, you know, Halloween and Halloween. He was paid to direct Halloween. Yeah. Not Halloween 2, so. Well, Halloween 1 was his own independent thing, right? I mean. No. Besides uh, the the Mustafa guy or whatever his name was that that financed it, oh, uh, Stacy Nelkin is married to Barry Bostwick, <laughs> or he she was married to Barry Bostwick. You love Barry Bostwick, yeah. Uh, she was in Going Ape, which that movie sucked. Up the Academy, The Chisholms, Get Crazy, California Dreaming, The Jerk Two. Do you like her or something? Is that why you're talking about her filmography? No, because I don't know what she was in. She was also in Yellowbeard, which is one of my all-time favorite movies. Ah. I didn't know. I, I was like, who the fuck is this chick? What other movies has she been in? Never heard of Yellowbeard. Yeah, there, there's, it's uh, basically Monty Python. Okay. There's there's scenes in the movie like, okay, so Hunsacker, that's what I'm going to call him, yeah. meets Ellie, and they start talking, like, he, he visits the bar where her dad used to go to to find out some information about this. Now he's, he's being an investigative cop instead of just being a doctor. Yeah. And she, he meets her. They start talking. And they're like, well, let's go to Santa Mira together and, and do some more deep investigations, right? Ooh. And they go to Santa Mira together. On a chance meeting, they've totally been together eight hours, maybe 10 hours at the most. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, they fall in love with each other. Kind of like him and Jamie Lee Curtis in The Fog. Yeah. (laughs) It's just... Very short, yeah. Like, come on. So... As it goes on, I mean, there's there's some really cool parts in the movie. There's some really good ideas in the movie. But for the most part, Halloween 3 Season of the Witch is just meh. Might have played out better like a, as a Twilight Zone episode or something. Yeah, said. I think it would have been better as a Twilight Zone episode. Exactly. Or, you know, um, you know, Freddy's Nightmares TV show or Friday the 13th TV show series, yeah. you know. Anything like that, but as as a movie, it's completely forgettable. Yeah. So that's really all I have about any of this shit. Watch two terrible movies. Watch three <laughs> terrible movies, and and <laughs> hey, soon we're gonna be watching Superstore. So there's more terrible. 
terrible. <laughs> All right. If you've never seen Yellowbeard, I don't think it's on any of the streaming services yet. Yeah. But basically, Yellowbeard is... You're going to hate me for this. I am because I really got to pee. It's got uh, Graham Chapman, John Cleese as Harvey Blind Pew, <laughs> Peter Boyle as Moon, Madeline Kahn, Eric Idle, Cheech Marin as El Segundo. <laughs> El Segundo. Marty Friedman. Now you can see why I love the movie. It's a hell of a cast. James Mason. It was directed by Mel Damsky, written by Graham Chapman, Peter Cook, uh, McKenna, and Sherlock, and features all those guys, including, you know, the, the Monty Python guys, right? Yeah. It's essentially Pirates of the Caribbean. Huh. But comedic. More comedic. Mm-hmm. It's got to be more comedic with, all, with that cast. Well, yeah. Way more comedic. So, uh, <laughs> Yellowbeard, Graham uh, Chapman, yeah. is incarcerated for 20 years for tax evasion. He survives the sentence but has not disclosed the whereabouts of his vast treasure. The Royal Navy hatches a plot to increase his sentence by 140 years, knowing that he will escape to set out for the treasure. He does so, recruiting a motley crew of companions. He had left a map of the treasure in the chimney of his wife's pub, but she burned it and had the map tattooed on their son's head. Sound familiar? When they had the map tattooed like on Waterworld on Jack. Things go wrong when his traitorous former bosun, Mr. Moon, Peter Boyle, takes over the ship. With the head of the British Secret Service, Eric Idle, hot on their trail, they eventually find the island where the terrible despot El Nebuloso, played by Tommy Chong, and his major domo El Segundo, have taken residence with the treasure and the battle for the prize commences. And and Graham Chapman plays Yellowbeard, who his entire idea of loving his son is to not kill him and 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 scalp him you know yeah it, and and he's always he's he's always this rough and ready fucking i'm going to kick everybody's ass type of character that's what yellowbeard is it's it's in my estimation it is one of the funniest performances by graham chapman i've ever seen yeah what's going on i'm looking it up right there oh yeah yeah well critics apparently didn't like it very much yeah i don't give a shit about they don't critics. know they don't know it's always a 1980s know. movie yeah Mel Damsky. All right. Yep. So if you get a chance to see the fucking movie, oh my God. Is it better than the Corsican Brothers, I hope? Oh, yeah. <laughs> and I like the Corsican Brothers too, so. I've only seen it once. I just remember his arm slipping into the fucking horse's ass. Yeah, he, like, he was brushing the horse. He was and, leaning on it. No, he was brushing the horse and he lost the brush inside the horse's it, badge. And his watch? No, just the, just, just the. He pulls a watch out of there. No, he doesn't. Someone pulls a watch out of a horse's ass. That's that not from that movie. No, um, he was you. They didn't have watches in fucking. That's why it was funny because there wouldn't be a watch. He back didn't then. have a watch. He he pulled the brush out. All right. All right. Like I haven't seen it a hundred and fifty thousand times. Uh, yeah, it's not worth debating about. You might be right. I don't. I don't know. It didn't. It didn't really matter. No. 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 Not. I might be. I am. Good. For Get you. it right. Good for you. So <laughs> suck my ass. All right. So yeah, I'm, look, I'm looking up to see what Yellowbeard might be available on, so I can watch it. It may be on Amazon Prime. Uh, all watch options. <laughs> watch it be on Tubi. If it's on Tubi, I'm watching it immediately. Uh, no, well, it's not available. I mean, everything that's available on is you have to pay for Voodoo, Google Play, Amazon, and YouTube. But it doesn't say if it's on Hulu or Netflix or whatever. So, well, Voodoo, you don't necessarily have to pay for it. <laughs> you may be able to watch it with the ads. Okay, it's not available on Netflix. Alright, I will try the Julio. Yeah. Uh, Roger Ebert got, gave it a two-star rating. You can rent it. 
Yeah, I just I, I don't I don't like paying money for movies. So I mean, well, you know, because I already pay enough already as it is. It's on Amazon Prime. It should be. It's you have to pay for it. It's like three bucks or something like that. So anyway, uh, is that all we got? That's it. That's it. All right, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go use the lavatory. So uh, thank y'all for listening and uh, check out those movies that I talked about and everything Mike talked about. Just ignore. All right, fuck you. <laughs> all right, thank you. Later. Good night. Silver Shamrock.